the planetary father function. In the analytic reception of Freud's science, the Oedipus complex, the seat of the father, is regularly displaced with regard to a newly emphasized parallel universal in psychic reality. The complex housing life and death with father can then be seen as a hideout for and diversion from this other realm of relations. In lieu of many examples of innovation and analytic theory requiring the alternation with the Oedipus complex to gain traction for alterations, consider too the masochism of the wish to be refused, Edmund Burgler, and the narcissism of the self, Heinz Kohut. Already in Freud's court, the momentum of alteration through alternation can be observed in the constructions of psychoanalysis, which arise when the transference swaps over in session onto an interpretation and the incomplete substitute produces a complete result. A treatable disturbance in the paternal relationship to the analyst can thus dislodge a deeper, untreatable problem which it isolates and contains like an inoculation. That the construction of the analytic relationship to the father might breach impasses in this way has special significance for the theorization of mourning. The unique opportunity of comparing Freud's case study notes upon a case of obsessional neurosis to the original notes he jotted down following the sessions with the rat man shows the upward displacement from the spectral souvenirs of a dead sibling to scenarios of blocked mourning for the father, which in the published version could be worked through. The displacement lingers on in the case study, often in the footnote underworld. This two-timing in the analysis of mourning inspired my book, Aberrations of Mourning, in which I sought to uncover alongside the Oedipus complex dedicated to the mournable father, a spectral underworld admitting the unmournable losses of mother, child, and sibling. I didn't oppose these regions, but followed out the time charts of their paralleling under the aegis of a concept which I modeled on Freud's uncanny and named unmourning. Not every loss on a scale of mourning or melancholia is embodied in an object relation. That's why the theory of the crypt, which influenced my work of unmourning, turns on secret words. In the meantime, I would go one step further inside the microstructure. Where the international reception says desire, the original language of Freud's science says wish. When the dead do return in your night dreams, are they back to confirm a relationship of wanting or to punctuate the end of the sentencing of a wish? If it seems a contradiction to say that the wish is stronger than its fulfilled content, then that's because the death wish happens to come true in time. Freud's Poetics of the Daydream followed his signature work on the composition of the night dream like an afterthought or contradiction. It was in the interpretation of dreams that Freud introduced the Oedipus complex as the lexicon for translating the secret message of the night dream's unconscious wish. The gist of daydreaming, however, isn't unconscious and is secretive only on a scale of private versus public. No one wants to share their waking wish fantasies 
which are inartistic to be sure, even at times antisocial, certainly always embarrassingly narcissistic. However, our private daydreaming, which we must own as our second nature beginning in adolescence, flexes omnipotence of thoughts, the word for creative power that the rat man coined in Freud's earshot. By altering his daydreams into the acts of a heroic saga, the first poet was, also for his audience, as Freud underscores, the first hero. He rescued the creative impulse of omnipotence from the privacy and privation of daydreaming. In his 1907 essay, The Poet and Daydreaming, Freud makes the counterintuitive move of privileging waking fantasy, although the night dream was the readily available analog for aesthetic experience. According to A Poetics of Fantasy, then, since every night dream is already a perfect composition, if dreaming and waking reality divided up the spoils of psychic life, then the night dream would be enough and art not necessary. There is art because we are always going off alone with fantasying, prematurely flashing on a figment without realization or endurance. There is art, then, to vouchsafe the evolution of the social relation out of the tight spot of wishing. Since my study of Philip K. Dick, I think I am, I have allied Freud's reflections on the endopsychic perception inside delusional thought, which affords an inside view of the regular functioning of psychic reality, with Walter Benjamin's discovery of the range and rage of reading in modern allegory. To this end, I had to get past Freud's embargo on philosophy and religion without compromising his Enlightenment stance. In this lecture, I rely, therefore, on the safety clause Benjamin allows secular allegory, the foregrounding of the intrigue keeps an infernal monopoly on violence from leading allegory into the light of Christianization, the quiescence at the beginning and end of the allegory of reading. At the same time, also since my study of P.K. Dick, Gotthard Günther's discovery of the new worlds and words of science fiction is a mainstay of my reading with B. Genre. The planetary civilization that is a given in science fiction's cathecting and occupying outer space found a first clearing for arrival or return through the break in metaphysical traditions that the Enlightenment introduced. Grunther emphasizes that the Enlightenment, which was quickly neutralized back home, was transferred intact to the New World, which got the break of a cosmically new start. I add to Grunther's Enlightenment interject the interlude of mesmerism, which led to an efflorescence of clairvoyant states triggered in patients undergoing magnetic treatment. More than the treatment itself, the studies that collected and evaluated these liminal states offered a prologue of prep work for the formation of Freud science. My supplement finds motivation in two related points that Gunther does make. One, that what we call superstition is the reverb of return from repression of the first planetary culture, animism, which the regional civilizations couldn't tolerate. And two, that the Enlightenment gave mankind in the New World the all-important outside chance to experience emotionally and fully 
the demolition derby and clearinghouse to which traditional metaphysics can be reduced. The first analysis of the symptom picture of literature, Delusions and Dreams in Jensen's Gurdiva, explores the analogues arising from the novella's self-reflection on its origin in daydreaming, which match archaeology and repression, haunting and transference. Based on the literary sentencing of the wish, Freud erected psychoanalysis upon a defective foundation, which he kept shoring up and never replaced. To protect the endopsychic allegory of the wish and the pageant of relations with the dead turning around the death wish, Freud later swerved from the devil in the death drive and upheld instead the intrigue of advocacy and speculation. Like in the constellation through which Theodore Adorno gave form to his thought, the points raised here are also at play in each of the following sections, ratcheting up in the course of repetition and variation toward a conclusion that's a given. The Oedipal relationship to the father goes out on an update as the planetary father function. At the close of The Origin of German Tragic Drama, Benjamin covers the arrears of allegory by the intrigue that inheres in the dramatic plotting on stage. But first, Benjamin gives the surprise twist that there is a half-life to the allegorical mode of reading, which lies in allegory's origin. Allegory first aimed at revising the evidence of antiquity. The naked pagan body was transferred to the account of the creature with the devil at the front of the line. The most important impulses in the origin of Western allegory are non-antique, anti-antique. The gods project into the alien world, they become evil, and they become creatures. The attire of the Olympians is left behind, and in the course of time, the emblems collect around it. And this attire is as creaturely as a devil's body. The living contexts of their birth disappear, so they become the origins of concepts. The deadness of the figures and the abstraction of the concepts are therefore the precondition for the allegorical metamorphosis of the pantheon into a world of magical, conceptual creatures. This is the basis for the survival of fabulous creatures, like the fawn, centaur, siren, and harpy, as allegorical figures in the circle of Christian hell. Throughout the majority of the origin book, Benjamin addresses modern allegory, which carries legibility forward among the ruins of Christianity's decline. Now, however, through original allegory's poster boy, the devil, Benjamin projects a turn or return that by restoring the Christian context would extinguish in the light of redemption the finite recording surface of remembrance. Transience, which is not so much signified as displayed in allegory, swings around this return into the allegory of resurrection. Allegory, of course, thereby loses everything that was most peculiar to it. The secret, privileged knowledge, the arbitrary rule in the realm of dead objects, the supposed infinity of a world without hope, all this vanishes with this one about turn. It is the abyssal contemplation of evil that triggers the return. 
A contemporary example of the stimulus package is the interpretation of psychopathic violence in the wake of World War II. In the realm of horror B-pictures, the reception of Hitchcock's Psycho in the form and forum of slasher and splatter movies amounted to film therapy, which began to reach its termination phase once survival could be pried loose from its equation with murder. The jump-starting of psycho-horror at the end of the 1990s through the import of infernal instruction, notably in the Saw franchise, adumbrated the contemplation of evil, not as a turn away from the secular figuration of violence on the screen of psycho-horror, but as another station in the mourning process awaiting integration. This B-picture vantage is syntonic with Benjamin's own emendation of his sense of a Christian ending of modern allegory in the closing evocation of the German Trauerspiel as a ruin that tells all you need to know about the complete edifice. The inadequacy of the German Trauerspiel is rooted in the deficient development of the intrigue at which Calderon excelled on the Baroque stage. The Spanish dramatist's deployment of intrigue circumscribes the German Trauerspiel's status as incomplete substitute or ruin that supplies the allegorical caption to a complete result. The intrigue alone would have been able to bring about that allegorical totality of scenic organization, thanks to which one of the images of the sequence stands out in the image of the apotheosis as different in kind and gives mourning at one and the same time the cue for its entry and its exit. The powerful design of this form should be thought through to its conclusion. Only under this condition is it possible to discuss the idea of the German Trauerspiel. The German exponent extrapolates from the setting of its failure the prospect of successful mourning looping through simultaneity to vouchsafe the intricate innovations of survival. When vampiric undeath reached the New World via Todd Browning's Dracula, it began traveling in American letters through outer space and ultimately underwent science fictionalization as epidemic outbreak of living death. This massified condition of the New World vampire came to be reclassified as the zombie's heimat, and the deferral position of undeath between first and second deaths gave way to target practice with zombies, improving the aim of putting the goner to second death. The vampire is the ruin for reading the complete thrillicill theater of zombieism. Does the intrigue that rescues allegory at the close of the origin of German tragic drama enter the encapsulation Benjamin attributed to Schreber's delusional system? Yes. Freud identified the intrigue in the delusion as the method in the madness leading to Schreber's recovery of a relational world. The solitude and emptiness that can befall us while we await transport into outer space must be met by the related challenge of making inner space habitable. 
Borrowed from Future World and Supergirl, the term inner space addresses the issue of consolidation or stability pressing at the outer limits of psychic reality. Staying a steady course between delusion and therapeutic containment describes a certain artistic practice of intrigue within the modern history of performance. On the list of contemporary artistic practices that Yayoi Kusama began checking off in 1957, there were performances and happenings, including Walking Peace and Grand Orgy to Awaken the Dead in 1966 and 1969, respectively. She followed the bouncing polka dot from her hallucinations already in childhood to her signature style. The dotting of the phallic eye is the extinction of distinction before the prospect of the cosmos. In science fiction, we are regularly given to understand that the outer space to be colonized for the survival of the species is psychosis, which must be delivered from its status as outer limit condition and concept and opened up instead for frontier or borderline settlement. To become part of the environment, as Kusama underscored, one's own body had first to be obliterated, liberated by polka dots. And yet the orgy of polka dots keeps awake for the dead. Kusama returned to Japan following the death of her partner, Joseph Cornell, and following her father's death, consolidated her long history of intermittent treatment by taking up permanent residence in Sewa Hospital for the mentally ill. The hospital environment provided the best conditions for her to work. That it was a transportable setting that allowed her, on occasion, to travel, puts through the performance connection with the therapeutic immersion in, or micromanagement of, a new world. Brian Wilson, the lead beach boy, hated the beach and was afraid of the ocean. He broke down in an airplane during a tight tour schedule. As client of Eugene Landy's 24-hour milieu therapy, which he entered following his father's death in 1973, Wilson was later able to travel through his abyssal fear of flying en route to another containment of his stage fright in a section of the plane set aside for his treatment apparatus and its administrators. The abuse charge Landy landed for his boundary blending with Wilson misses the point, at which point family interests reasserted control, but without, thanks to Landy's treatment, incapacitating the identified patient. On the sliding scale of psychopathology, a point is reached where only something bigger than the two of us applies. Three is a crowd, but also the father. The normal to neurotic everyman in psychoanalysis and psychotherapy is then an afterthought, a byproduct of the stabilization of the psychotic borderline at the outset of modern therapy. D.W. Winnicott overturned the central construct of normalcy or neurosis and returned to the original momentum of treatment. But he was also overlooking, in both senses, Freud's introduction of the second system upon contact with the shell shock epidemic of World War I. To illustrate the repetition compulsion he diagnosed in the serial dreaming of shell shocked soldiers, Freud cited, for example, 
the case of a woman who was over and again the very widow of each new husband. Winnicott's famous line that the fear of going insane was a roundabout way of admitting that a breakdown had already occurred was also the long way around for recognizing that mental illness can go out of itself, casting out borderlines that net a structure on the outside for fatality or stability. By its own serial momentum, the repetition compulsion, according to Freud, not only grows into the outside world a protuberance of its disordering, but can also fold out a new preparedness for the shocks of the new. This is one of the openly admitted mainstays of Benjamin's reading of media in On Some Motifs in Baudelaire. The other psychoanalytic mainstay, which he didn't identify, was the discovery of dissociation and fetishism, which showed Freud the way past the limiting concept of psychosis. Freud referred to two non-sexological cases of sons who didn't know that their fathers were dead, but who were not, as he would have expected, psychotic. Like fetishists in regard to the makeup of their libidinal objects, the sons both knew and did not know that the father was missing. The dissociation and fetishism showed Freud the way past the impasse in shell shock, which he attributed to the ego's conflict with its parasitic double. Dissociation, which oscillated at the border between neurosis and psychosis, was the transvaluation of doubling, a new alternative to the death wish rapport that splits the shares of omnipotent fantasy and summons the father's vengeful ghost. Along this borderline, Benjamin established the niche market of gadget love, the buffer zone defending against the pathogenic impact of technologization and mass psychologization. Sitting before the console of switches and push buttons, Benjamin's gadget lover could already stagger and calibrate the dosing of shocks and shots, boosting his immunity against psychotic shutdown. There is even a time travel feature to this comfort zone. With a click, the camera gives the moment shot a posthumous shock. By the extrapolations of science fiction, the gadget miniaturizes until its love is a wrap with the occult capacities that mesmerism reintroduced during the Enlightenment. Like in a true underworld, all the figments and figures of history return, but without the former conditioning of opposition. Gadget love opens the inner outer space for the body's return in surprising continuity with antiquity, although its intactness is literally the condition of being in touch. This is where child's play goes in the course of the global expansion of adolescence into both childhood and adulthood. Like the multiverse, the universe in interstellar, the father function regionally decoded and delivered of the setting on opposition or repression will absorb the mother of memories.